Let's learn some beautiful Torah this morning. We're discussing the story of Avraham, who has just miraculously won this war between the kings of the four, the, the, the four kings that had captured. We did like a 50-minute homage class. So the four kings had captured territory from many, many different countries we discussed yesterday, including Sodom. And now Avraham went to war against them. He miraculously won the war. He's freed all of the prisoners. He's reclaimed all of the, uh, the land. And uh, they want to offer him wealth and to offer him all the, all the possessions. Never says, I don't want anything. Just give to the people that were with me. All I want is the souls. I didn't mention this yesterday. But Avram says, tell me at nefesh, give me the souls. Meaning the money I don't care about. You can keep the money. I don't want anyone to say that you're the ones that made Avram rich. My blessings are only from Hashem. But all the young children of these cities were actually taken to Avram's home. The older people was too late. But the young children, Avram taught them, and he made many of these young children became God-fearing, God-believing uh, people as a result of Avram's education. However, despite the fact that there's such a happy ending to the story, Avraham inside is feeling very, very distressed. Why is he distressed? Because he had tremendous miracles, which means that God gave him a lot of blessing. But it could be that the blessings that God had promised him, that he would inherit the land of Israel, that he would have children, these blessings have been used up now. This merit had been used up by the miracle that God had performed for him in these wars. In addition, he was distressed that he had killed people. So even though it was obviously justified when you know he was uh, saving lives, but he did kill. So he felt uh, very, very grieved that maybe Hashem was angry at him and he had killed people, especially with the descendants of shame. And therefore, he now had lost the, the schus, the merits that he had that would give him the blessings to inherit the land of Israel and to have children. So Hashem appears to Avram in a, in a vision. And he says to Avram, Altira Avram, don't be afraid. By the way, this word is the most common phrase in Torah. Altira, don't be afraid, Avram. I am your shield. I will be with you. Your reward will still be very great. And Avram says to Hashem, of what good is it to have a great reward and to be blessed by you and to become great and wealthy and mighty if I'm childless? And right now the only one that will inherit me is Eliezer, my servant. But that's not the servant is not the same as a child. I, you know, and although he's very dedicated, he's not my son. And Avram says, You have given me no children to inherit me. Hashem says to Avram, Lo this one, Eliezer, he will not be the one that will inherit you. Rather, someone that will come out of your flesh, who he will be the one to inherit you. And then he takes Avram outside. And Avram says to him, I see in the stars astrologically. I'm not destined to have children. My, my fate is not to have children. My fate is to be childless. So Hashem takes him hachutza. Hashem takes him outside. But literally, it literally means outside. But the explanation given is he takes him beyond the, the uh, realm or beyond the structure and limitations of the stars. Because the stars reflect a certain truth. But they're a truth of a very natural reality. Hashem takes him outside of the reality of the stars and he says to Avram, gaze upon the sky. Count the stars. Can you count the stars? You can't count the stars. We can't count the stars. Not only because we don't have money, but they're so far away. They're so... And so Hashem says to Avram, Ko so too will be your children as numerous as the stars, meaning uncountable. Just like we cannot count the stars, that's the way your children will be 
uncountable. But there's a big difference. I don't get to right now. We can be blessed to be like the sand, which we discussed it was yesterday, two days ago. Or we can be blessed to be like the stars. Stars are not countable, not because there's so many of them, but because they're so great. And each one is its own. Each star is an independently valuable, amazing entity in and of itself. Just they can't count them because they're so far away and they're beyond our beyond our realm that we can see them and count them, etc. There's another part, not this pasuk. There's other. There's more than one time that we're blessed to be like the stars. Not in this parsha. Not not, not today's Torah reading. Today, Hashem just says, "Can you count the stars?" No. Ko yizerachad, so too will be your children. That will be like the stars. Um, and then Hashem vehemin Hashem, Avram believes God. He believes God, even though naturally it didn't make sense that he would have children. He's already a much older man. And even though he saw in the stars that he's not meant to have children, he believed Hashem. Hashem considers this as an act of righteousness. And this act of righteousness becomes ingrained in the children of the Jewish people forever. That we have within us, ingrained within us, a natural emunah, a natural faith in Hashem. We are called ma'aminim, b'nei ma'aminim, believers, the sons of believers, because we inherited a natural uh, uh, inherent and intrinsic faith that exists within each and every single Jew, just like we inherit certain genes from our parents, or our color, our, our height, our eye color, our hair color, our personality, we inherited from our father, Avram, a belief in Hashem. And therefore, actually, says when the Jew believes in God, it's not considered a, an act of free will. It's, being, it's your natural disposition of a Jew. It's the nature of a Jew to believe in Hashem, at least to some extent. The commentaries also tell us that when God takes Avram out of the stars, it means, he says, that you will no longer be limited by the nature of astrology, by what that which you saw in the stars, that you won't have children, no longer applies to you, and not only not to you, but to all of your descendants. Hence the Talmud says, Ein mazol Yisrael, that Jews are not limited to the forces of mazel, of nature, and they're beyond the stars. What does that mean? So let's understand. Hashem created a world with a natural, fundamental uh, structure of, of nature, right? That's how God made the world. So God made the world that there's the 70 supernal forces of nature that come down, and then there's many uh, um, gradations of how the divine energy comes down to the world. So how do we get all of our blessings in the world? How do we get all of our blessings in the world? Through these natural forces that God created in the universe. So if you understand the forces of nature, then you understand that this is what's destined in the forces of nature to come through, and this is what's not destined in the forces of nature. It says, I'll just explain more. It says, it says in the, that even a grass of leaf has a spiritual mazel above it that hits it. and says, grow, grow, grow. Meaning nothing in the world can grow if there's no mazel that's hitting it. Not physically hitting it, but giving it energy to make it grow. So, the whole world, that's the way everything, including us, everything that exists in the world, every blade of grass, every tree, every business, every, you know, every opportunity in the world has a mazel creating it. And that's, the word mazel comes from the word nozel, to flow down. So there's a flow of energy. And this is the flow of energy that allows that the world should function in a natural way. So people, I don't know today when they look at the horoscopes in the newspapers today, I don't know how authentic that is. I have no idea. But in, in, in true wisdom of the world, 
there's a true art and a true science rather than an art as a science of astrology, which is to look at the stars, which are the most powerful forces of nature that we have really, and to be able to read and see in the stars what flow of nature is coming where. And that's why different times of the day, there's different energies of the time. And you can look legitimately at when the person is born, and you can see based on the hour in which they're born, there's a certain, what's called a zodiac in English, or there's a certain mazel that's, uh, that's powerful for this person at this time. And then you have, uh, for a different person, for example, Friday night making Kiddush, there's a custom that many people don't make Kiddush, in the sixth hour of the evening, of the afternoon. Why? Because that's a mazel of blood. So red wine, at that time, it's a, it's a dangerous mazel, so you don't use red wine at this time. The point is that there's, there's real spiritual forces of nature they're spiritual, not that they're holy per se. They're natural, but they're 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 ethereal. They're not visible, they're not tangible, but they are legitimate forces of nature that create the realities in this world. So when the stargazers look in the stars, and for example, we talked about the stargazers telling Nimrod in this week's Torah reading that a child will be born to Terach that will fight against your kingdom. The stargazers were seeing an accurate reality. They were able to see the star of Terach. Whatever that means, you know, it's not like a just starting today, but they saw the mazel, they saw the, the, the flow of energy coming to create Terra, and they saw what was coming out of this flow of energy, and they saw that there's a threat to Nimrod from here. And they were, they were correct. No, they weren't. They, they don't always know exactly, they can't predict them to the, but they were correct in their general assumption because they were legitimate, authentic astrologers who knew how to read the power of the stars. So, see, so the, the from the it's not Nivua, it's not Nivua. Not Nivu. Nivu prophecy is where God tells you ABC. So that's not where you on your own are reading into the, the stars and to their, their, their positioning and the, the way they're crossing paths, etc. And you are making your own interpretation of how you read the stars. Nivua is God says, Gabriel, ABC. It's predicting, but it's an act of, it's an act of, just like when you have, by way of example, not the same. You have signs to predict where a hurricane will go, right? They're not always 100%. They're usually not right. But I'm saying there's a, there's a science to it. And they have, a, based on whatever prediction, whatever models they create, and different, different, um, meteor, different weather people will, will predict the same storm differently. Why? Because it's not a perfect, it's a, human, it's a human science. It's actually a good example. So you can have two different meteorologists, and one will predict that the storm is going to go this way, and one will predict it goes this way. Why? Because they're both using different models, the, the same data, but they're the same thing with the stars. So they see the stars, and today we don't really see stars because we're not so in touch with nature. But back then, they would look at stars. They, the, well, first of all, the world was darker at night. There wasn't so much electricity. So the world is actually, where the world is dark, if you go to the country where there's not so many streetlights and homes and buildings, you can see much more of the sky than you can see if you're living in a city like that. Then the world was dark at night. <laughs> so they really saw the stars and they, and they were in touch with the stars. They actually knew the stars. They could tell the difference. Also look at the star, the sky, it all looks the same. They knew what was the difference. So the same data, and one astrologer would predict, he had one model that the stars going in this direction means A, and a different astrologer had a different model. They're, they're not one's right and one's wrong. I mean, one might be, but they were using different scientific models of their day. So that's the four, and, and, and by the way, same thing with a hurricane. Hurricanes follow a natural path. We're not, we, it's an art and the science to figure out how to predict which way the hurricane will go. 
but there are certain rules by which hurricanes move. Heat makes it go faster, go slower, the this, the temperature, the wind, and all these different factors combined. And then you can say, I say it's going this way. With a Jew, Hashem said, when Hashem took Avram out of the stars, which is what we just read about today, Hashem was saying to Avraham, you are not going to be confined by these rules of nature. The rules of nature still apply, but a Jew has the power to transcend the rules of nature. And even though the, all the science and all the data says that the hurricane is going to go 42 miles to the left, uh, that, that 10 miles an hour, whatever, and it's going to hit uh, Florida right here. Hashem I can, I, I, you're not limited to that. And the miracles could happen, and the hurricane could just totally disappear, or go a different way, etc. The Gemara brings a few stories. The Gemara brings four different stories. I don't know if I remember all four by heart off the top of my head, but the Gemara brings four stories about this idea that you had Jews that were confined to a certain, in the stars, they were limited, that a certain thing would happen to them. And that was indeed destined to happen to them. But because they did a mitzvah, the, the mazel became wrong. What are the four stories? So the first one, the most famous one, is the story of Rabbi Akiva's daughter. Rabbi Akiva had a daughter, and Rabbi Akiva, when she was born, he was walking in the market, and one of the astrologers over there said, Akiva, I see that you had a daughter born. You should know, I see in the stars, that she will die on her wedding day. You know the story? It's a very important story. It's a beautiful story. She's gone to the astrologer, told Akiva that his daughter would die on her wedding day. So he got all, uh, you know, whatever. He decided not to say anything about it. He didn't tell anyone, didn't tell his daughter about this, but in the back of his mind, you know, he was very worried. Came the day of his daughter's wedding, he was davening, he was worried. Comes the next morning after the wedding, and he hears a shriek coming from his daughter's room, wherever they say. He runs to the room, and right over her bed, in the wall, she's taken this big pin out of her head. She had like for her hair. She stuck it in the wall, and there in the wall, in the crack in the wall, where she put the pin, was a big cobra, a poisonous snake that she had killed with, right between the eyes was a pin. If she hadn't killed it, it would have come out of the wall and could have killed her. So Akiva says to her, tell me, what mitzvah did you do yesterday in which you merited that you should uh, be saved, that you were able to... She didn't see. She went to bed at night. It was dark. You know, the room was dark. She took the pin out of her head. She stuck it into the wall. She didn't know she just killed a snake that was going to kill her. In the morning, you know, she looks up, she wakes up, and that's what she sees. Her first morning after the wedding. So Akiva says, what merit did you do to be saved from this snake? So she said to her father yesterday at the wedding, so the custom was, that you have a table for poor people to come and enjoy food at the wedding. The table was full. All the poor people came. There was no more food left on that table. I saw a poor person came in. They know where to sit. And they had no food. So no one noticed. So I took my plate of food from the head table. And I, when I gave it to this poor person, they should have what to eat and they shouldn't be hungry. So he said that because at your own wedding you didn't eat, you gave your food, your dinner to this poor person, that act of stucco is what caused that this, this which was in the stars that was destined that you would die on your wedding night was averted to a of Israel. Second story in the Gemara is of Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua. I'm not sure I don't remember his name offhand. Also, when he was born, the astrologer told his mother that he was going to grow up to be a wild, be a thief. To grow up to be a thief. And um, so what did she do? She, I have to remember from the rabbi, she kept the yarmulke on his head. When, when the rabbi said, make sure he always has his head covered. And she, from when he was a baby, he always wore a kippah and it controlled his desire. One time his yarmulke fell off his head and he felt this immediate urge to go steal something. And he ran to a tree to go steal someone's fruit. And then quickly he put his yarmulke back on and the urge to steal went away. Four stories in the Gemara like this. 
point is that even though it's true, when the stargazer told Akiva that your daughter's destined to die, there was a true force of nature like that. Ein Mazel Yisrael means, begins from this today's Torah reading, it's really tomorrow's Torah reading, where Hashem says to Avraham, you are transcending, I'm taking you beyond the nature of, of the forces of nature, beyond the natural flow of energy, which is called a mazel, and you will be able to, to you'll dive into Hashem, you'll do a mitzvah, you have the power to transcend that. Here is what's called in Hebrew, the bris ben habsarim. The bris ben habsarim is literally the covenant between the halves. That's the literal translation. Basically, this night, after Hashem promises Avram, don't worry, you will have biological children who will inherit you. So then Hashem says to him, I'm going to make with you a covenant. Because he asks Hashem, how do I know that I will inherit the land? I believe you that I'm going to have children. But how do I know that they'll inherit the land of Israel? Maybe they'll sin, and maybe they'll get angry at them, and maybe they'll be worthy of punishment. Just maybe, not for sure, but maybe we'll be uh, deserving of punishment. And then, you know, they'll, they'll, the Jews will be punished, and you won't forgive them. So Hashem says to Avram, take for yourself three calves, three goats, three rams, a turtle dove and a young dove. What's going to happen is, I'll explain the significance in a second, he's going to cut them in half. And then Avraham and God together walk between these halves. This was a form of making a covenant back in, in olden times where you cut an animal. Like today you go to have a drink, right? You go to different, today the way you make a deal and make a covenant is you go to a lawyer's office. But in other times you go to a bar and have a drink, right? So in, in, in the times of Avraham, how did you make a covenant? You took an animal, you put the animal on the altar, you sacrificed it, and then you ate it. You see with Yaakov and Lavan, the same idea. That's how they... Uh, that's how they make covenants back then. So he takes these multiple animals, and each animal is a symbolic of another opportunity of repentance that God is giving the Jewish people. So there's many things that Jews can do, and there's many offerings of atonement that we can bring in the temple. Every atonement offering is included within these animals. So we have three, I'll just go through them quickly. You have three calves, three baby cows, um, which represent three bulls that are offered in the temple as atonement. One is the bull of Yom Kippur, which is the, the chatas of Yom Kippur. One is when the community makes a mistake, led by the, by the head of the community, the court, they bring a bull as a sin offering. And the third is the, what's called the Egla Arufa, if a person is found dead on the side, outside, abandoned in the, in the wilderness. So it's a whole procedure where the nearest community comes and they kill an uh, ox over the water and say that we're innocent from the blood that, of this person that died. You have the three goats, representing the goats of Yom Kippur, right? You have the two goats of Yom Kippur. You have the goat that's offered on each holiday. There's a sa'ir, which is a sin offering. A goat is a sin offering. And then a goat, which is part of the personal sin offering of the person. And then you have the three lambs, which also is the three lambs. No, sorry. Sorry, oh no, just three goats. My three cats, three goats, three rams. Oh, the three rams, there we go. Three rams are... The ram of a personal, also certain sin offerings. The ram of a, if you're not sure if you did a sin, if you did bring a sin offering. So if you did a sin offering, if you did a sin, it's one kind of sin. What if you're not sure if you even ate, you know you ate, there was two pieces of meat, one's kosher, one's not kosher, and you don't remember which one you ate. That's a different kind of sin offering called a, a asham. And then the third is when a personal sin offering. The dove and the, and the uh, turtle dove, are when a person is poor and they can't afford to bring a goat or a uh, ox, etc., they bring a, a dove. So these animals, the point is that these animals that Avram is offering now between him and God 
is the all the opportunity of atonement for the rest of the Jewish people. And after Avram slaughters all these animals, he cuts them in half, places each piece opposite its counterpart, but with space to walk in between. So you have the front half and the back half of the goat, and then the space, a walkway in between. And then he walks in between, uh, he walks between. Vultures come down to eat from the animals. The vultures come, they see dead animals, right? The vultures come, and Avram pushes away, he has to chase away the vultures. And this is a prophetic vision, how in the future, David HaMelech, who is the vulture, will want to do away with all of the other nations that are represented by these other animals that are cut in half. The dove is the Jewish people, but all the other animals are the other nations. And Hashem will not allow him to do it. But eventually, Mashiach will come, and then he'll be able to chase away all the other nations. And then the night comes. And here the Torah says, Vahi Hashemesh Lavo, the sun began to set. Vatidema, and a deep, deep sleep fell upon Avram. Vihine Ema, there was a fear. Here I'll read the words. He was overwhelmed by a dark, it says in English, a dark, he was overwhelmed by a dark and ominous dread. That's the translation in English. But in Hebrew, it says four expressions of fear. There was an Ema, which is a fear. Chashech is a darkness. G'dayla, a great darkness. They fell, Allah fell upon him. So you have this tremendous fear upon uh, Avram, which the four expressions of fear that he feels at that moment when he falls asleep of this darkness is the four exiles the Jews will experience. The exile of, of going into the uh, exile of Babylonia, of Persia, of Greece, and eventually of Rome, which is the exile that we're still in today. God waiting. And at this time, Avram says, Hashem says to Avram, I know you should know that your children will be a, a uh, strangers in a foreign land, in a land that does not belong to them. And there they will have to work in the land for many, many years. 400 years they will be slaves in this 400, for 400 years in this foreign land. However, at the end of that time, the nation that oppressed them, I will judge, I'll put judgment upon that nation. And they will leave from there, Birchosh Gadol, with tremendous wealth. But you and your fathers will go to a beautiful rest. In the good old age will be buried here in the land of Israel. And the fourth generation will return back over here. There's more to talk about this, uh, this, this choice that Avram had between Gehenim and, 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 and exile. But we'll leave that. It goes further. So we'll leave that ready for tomorrow's class. Okay? Any questions? Yes.